All right, welcome back to the Intergroups Podcast. This is Scott Bachanson, and we are joined by a, a big group of guests today. And I'm going to turn it over to Adam, let him introduce the guests. But I want to first thank the Vienna Inn for having us uh, again, for allowing us to have our podcast from here today. I also want to thank our other sponsor, the Steve Gordon Basketball Officials Camp. You can visit them at sgboc.com, and registration is now open. So, Adam, we're getting down to the uh, the final stretch here, so uh, let you introduce the guests, and maybe we can kind of talk about our first topic. Thanks, Scott. Um, we are uh, blessed to have two of our typical guests, Irv Green and Andre Jones. And we're joined by a special guest, not a special guest referee like Gorilla Monsoon was back in the WWE days, but we have Tom McElroy with us today. Tom is a collegiate athletic administrator veteran. Um, uh, He's been not quite around the block, but pretty close to it. Tom spent some time at St. Bonaventure's, I know it's St. Bonaventure, Tom, in Olean, New York. And then was the uh, Senior Associate Commissioner at the Big East Conference, spent some time as a Deputy AD at UConn, and then as the Athletic Director at Rhode Island, and then a consultant at the University of Massachusetts. But he's here today to to talk with us a little bit about college basketball officiating and his perspective and hopefully some stories from the past without without the names. Um, As Scott mentioned, we're getting ready to start postseason play here, and certainly in Northern Virginia, I would imagine... Many high schools, uh, associations around the country get ready to do that. And this is the time of the year uh, where, you know, players and coaches have been working hard all season to get ready for this time of year. And in most cases, um, it's a one-and-done situation. If, if, you, if you lose, you go home. And so it's imperative that we are on top of our games um, from the time the ball goes up in the air to the time the game ends. Because as we've talked about in games, teams have less time to recover from our mistakes that we make in the second half than when they do in the first half. Well, they have less time to recover from mistakes we make in an elimination game than they do in a regular season game. And I know this is going to sound odd coming from me, for those of you that know me, but one of the most important things you can do getting ready for the postseason is read the rule book again. Um, yeah, I said it, read the rule book again. I read it before the exam, I read it sometime during the middle of the season, and I read it again going into the postseason. Um, it's also important to understand the teams that you you have that night, the history and, the, and any rivalries. Uh, in many cases, you have teams that are playing for the third, potentially fourth time, uh, and it's good to know what's gone on before. Um, so, you know, just some general thoughts, and then I'm going to turn it back over to Scott for a moment. Remember, when the ball is dead, be alive and alert. Um, we should always have at least two sets of eyes uh, observing the players during a game. Uh, remember, if we make a mistake with a, an ejection during a playoff game and they have to sit another game, that could potentially be a kid's last game of his high school career. So we need to be uh, vigilant in that. Um, work hard to get your angles. Don't assume uh, that you don't have to move because a play is going to happen in front of you that's going to be an easy play. You never know when that closeout's going to come from A to B. Right, Scott? That's right. And be ready for that. Um, not from C to A. Exactly, not being from, not from C to A. Um, have great communication, as usual, with your crews and with the table and with the coaches and the kids. You know, we're in it together, work together. Um, you know, treat the players, the coaches, your partners, the table with respect. If you want respect in return, you're going you're gonna to have to give it. Um, and the last thing I'd say is just be alert 
to the little things in a game. We have a hard enough time refereeing games, let alone if there's a clock problem or we sh don't shoot free throws when we're supposed to. I do read the rule book three times a year, but I still don't understand the correctable error rule, and I probably never will. Um, so just make sure they don't happen. Um, but just be ready. Be physically and mentally ready for your games in the postseason um, and give those kids the best game you can possibly give them that night. So, Scott, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that. Adam, all that's awesome stuff. The other thing I would want to say, though, also is um, I hope that our officials are being a student of the game in the sense that there's a lot of opportunity to go and watch videos, game videos. You can watch previous matchups of teams that are going to play in the district. So if I'm scheduled with a game, I'm going to go see if I can find a video of how those two teams played against each other the last time. I want to get to know, uh, you know, is one team pressing? Is one team playing man-to-man? -man? Is there a, a zone with traps? That way I can make sure that not only myself but my crew is prepared so when we go through our pregame we can kind of talk a little bit more about the history of these two teams, who won, who lost, if there was any issues during the game we need to pay attention to, any matchup problems that we want to make sure we, we keep extra eyes on, and just understanding the way that the the, the teams played against each other. So um, there's a lot of new things out there with social media and Twitter and other podcasts that talk about teams, and I think that there's a lot of great resources out there that we can use, but I think you know getting the video and, and seeing that is probably the most important thing that I would say. So um, those those would be the the key points that I would have. So um, you know I think the the other thing is you know maybe to get uh, a little bit of a, a coach's perspective. Um, you know recently we had a chance to talk with one of our coaches that we officiate, and one of the things that they're dealing with is they're going to have 12 days off. Um, in between in the regular season and when the playoffs start. And so some of these teams are going to have too much time off. Some are going to have uh, no time off. And so just understanding how they may react to that, it, you know, it's kind of like when they come back from Christmas break, especially a, a team that's had a few extra days off, there might be some issues. So just, uh, you know, being a student of the game, you know, Adam talks about reading the rule book again, and I would, I would also say reading the case book. There's a lot of videos going around with Ibo and some other places. So, um, you know, just just take that into account as, as you look to do this. And uh, hopefully that will help you get ready for not only the, the last week of regular season with the seedings, but also the playoffs as they approach in the next week or two. I want to turn now to uh, one of our special guests, Tom Mathroy. As I mentioned before, Tom is a longtime collegiate administrator, um, has seen and been involved in – an amazing amount of college basketball at the highest level at the Big East Conference, the Atlantic 10 Conference. Um, and, and Tom brings a different perspective to us today. Um, Tom's not a referee, uh, never tried to play one. He hasn't, to my knowledge, he didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, um, but has a tremendous amount of respect for officials and has worked with officials over the years. Um, and so, Tom, I'm just curious from an administrative point of view, if you can give, you can give some of your thoughts about basketball officiating, maybe some of the, the, the history of the stuff that you saw that went on, particularly in the Big East conferences that went from a, uh, a non-existent conference to one of the dominant college basketball conferences in the country. So once again, I'd like to welcome Tom to the show. Full disclosure, I never played or coached the game. I got cut from high school cross country as a sophomore in high school. Nobody gets cut from cross country. <laughs> and people want to know how did he work 40 plus years in this business? And uh, I won't, it's a too long a story for that. But um, I really enjoyed listening 
to the instructions and thought process going into the playoffs. What I heard from these two gentlemen is akin to instructions that I heard many, many times, whether it was conference playoffs on the collegiate level and certainly um, postseason and Final Four instructions from men who are very, very good supervisors and just good basketball people. And I think the thing that I saw that made the best officials was a very simple term, the official who knew how to communicate. Um, the official that realizes that I'm here, but it's the game is for those 10 kids in uniform and then the coaching staffs. And it's the ability to communicate. Yeah, I might have missed that one coach, or I didn't see that one coach, but I hear a coach. Um, the NCAA gets caught up in mechanics, the guys that look like robots on the floor because they, you know, their five-second count is really well orchestrated. And mechanics are one thing, but if you can communicate to a coach, then you're in the ability to now conduct a game with, with uh, continuity in a way that we're going to call it the same way throughout the game unless the style of play forces we got to get tougher with this. So the, the call we make in the fourth quarter should look like the call we would have made two minutes into the game. And I think communication goes a big part in that, Adam. And, uh, so that's what I got to see working next to what Mano I think was the is still is. He's a secretary of rules editor and probably the best basketball um, assigner, evaluator, whatever you want to call him. A former Princeton assistant, Artie Highland, and obviously he was a Dave Gavitt hire, so I got to work next to two basketball geniuses who were really good people. But I saw communications. Timmy Higgins never looked like uh, a referee coming out of the, the, the catalog. But boy, his ability to communicate with kids and coaches, the scoring table, uh, and media time when officials get drawn into that. His ability to communicate and know he was not what the story was about today. It wasn't about him. And so I think about him, him uh, a lot of this time of year as his ability to communicate. That's great, Tom. The other guy that brings to, brings to mind for me was one of my mentors in, in collegiate officiating, and may he rest in peace, was Mickey Crowley. Talk about a guy that had a had a body that nobody would ever want, uh, but and mechanics who uh, I mimic his mechanics, which are almost non-existent, um, but could communicate with the best of them. You got any great Mickey Crowley stories from your days that you can tell? Uh, yeah. Well, again, Mickey was a, a man who had a feel for the game. He had a feel for people. And he didn't take himself seriously, but he had a lot of humor. Um, and you know, and he went through a time. He officiated a time where people thought people were house officials. So if you came to New York, you had three guys from New York. Nobody traveled officials in the college game then. And, and uh, you'd go to a Bayheim game in the dome, and the three officials would always be from Rochester or Buffalo. And and I think people like Art and Dave changed that when they said, "Look, we're going to." Stop moving crews around, and people we refer to people as, "Oh, he's a he's a Rochester guy, or he's a New England guy." And um, you know, Mickey was a guy that coaches wanted on their game. Um, they knew they were going to get a fair call, a good call, and they could talk to him. And again, uh, Adam, you said it best. Um, he did not look like he came out of you know this guy should be a thing. he should be in a movie like a Damon Damon Runyon type character. He could have been in The Goodfellas on the side, you know. And, and uh, I, people miss him. We miss the game misses people like Mickey. But uh, I think people like Mickey and Timmy did a great job. You just said it. I mean, mentoring and, and and impressing the next generation that came up. That guys, it's not about us. You know, it's really not about us. And uh, but when they had to put the hand up and say, Coach, enough, enough, I've heard it, 
the coach respected that. And uh, so he didn't have to be the New York guy anymore. He was just Mickey Crowley. So I do remember a game. I don't know whether he was on the game, but it was an early Big East game, and Louis Conaseca would run up and down. There was no box back then. And at some point in the game, Louis found himself in front of the visitor's bench. And and somehow, because he was so small, we called him the Italian leprechaun, Louis, he couldn't find him because he was like about five, six on a good day. And he realized, suddenly he looks up and he realized he's not in front of his bench. So he basically just took a seat on the visitor's bench. And the officials couldn't find him for a second. And he had, they had a team at the end that sent him back to his bench. But, uh, you know, you, you had moments like that because these, these Hall of Fame coaches, uh, Conaseca, Massimino, Bayon, Thompson, Tino, uh, um, Gary Williams, uh, you know, they, they were unique that um, the game allowed them to become personalized. They really grew the game as really good coaches. And they really were perfect for a made-for-TV event called the Big East. Uh, My other part of the regionalization, I remember being a game and Louie comes up to me uh, as the administrator and says, Tom, Rochester guys, Rochester guys. He kept saying Rochester guys. I said, Louie, what are you talking about? Louie never knew the names of the officials. Had no idea. But I think the late Pete Pobby was on the game. Gene Manji or somebody else. They're upstate guys around the game. And he was playing Beheim. So he's all upset because there's Rochester guys. Now, Louis had no idea who the three guys were, no where they were from. And his assistants fueled that. Louis, we can't win this game. He's got three Rochester guys. So all I could say, hey, Louis, when you go back to the dome, we'll put Higgins, Crowley, and uh, somebody from New York. Lembo. Lembo, Larry Lembo. There it is on the game. Um, Louis and Joe Mullaney both came from NBA backgrounds, and they were guys who never got really hung up on who's on my game. They didn't know, and you know the NBA tends to put a little bit of a straitjacket on people compared to what the college were letting officials get away with back then, and it really brought a decorum to the game, and, and, and it was good for officials in the game. And um, I always was moved by the fact that these two legend Hall of Fame coaches. Let's just go play. Didn't matter who the three guys in the stripes were. Tom, that's, that's some great stuff there. Um, one of the other um, specialties of Tom McElroy over the years was his involvement in TV and broadcasting and television rights. Um, he's a master at that stuff. So I'm curious just a little bit on that topic, Tom, what your take is these days on all of the video review that goes on in college basketball what do you think it's good bad or indifferent for the game and that, that, that's an unfair question um, it, we, we struggle with the fact TV is not producing the game for the technical follow-up of the game it's producing it for an audience at home uh, the guy in the truck doesn't know anything about the game let me make that real the talent may producer director really don't. So the angles and what they take to deliver to the home audience might not be in the best interest of a technical review. Uh, so I think we have a, 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 an overabundance to rely on that. It's not just in basketball. It's certainly sort of happened in football. Look at the Super Bowl two years ago. Um, at some point, the, the human factor should be left in the game. I believe that the coaches are human, the kids are human. Why can't officials be human? Because if we're going to do this, then let's put wires on everybody. Let's use robots. You know, uh, let's have that on the football pie line at the end or on the rim. If a kid touches the rim, that way. Oh, no, we know we touched it because the buzzer went off on the rim. We're going to wire everything. So I don't know if I've really given you an answer to that, Adam. I think relying on it, and then it excites the fan at home. Let's make no mistake about it. It has an effect on 
interest that may relate to gambling. Those are things that, that concern me, and we rely on it too much. At some point, we're always going back to the irrefutable evidence isn't there. So, yeah, let's let's stay with the call those three gentlemen made or the crew made on the floor. What's wrong with that? And then we take too much time. That, that's probably my biggest frustration. You ruin the flow of the game. You know, uh, it's it's not good to the fan in the stands, the person at home. After a while, like enough is enough. So I'm like, let's go fully robotics. <laughs> you know, or, or let's let's put a cap on it. And again, let, I'll let the rules experts figure out how you cap the length of timeouts, how much time you do it, how much review. Because uh, really, the technical production is not there with the intent of satisfying replay when replay is needed in a, in a game. Tom, i got to tell you that just to hear it from your uh, lips makes it a, you know, uh, come full circle because I remember when they first started doing replay and everybody was clamoring for it and clamoring for it. And now that it's here, now we're trying to figure out is it really good for the game. And I, I will tell you, I'm a little, uh, you know, biased because of my one of my positions. Um, but I think the NBA is getting it right. And, you know, uh, being a courtside administrator, the NBA um, does a lot of things really well. And one of the things that they've done by adding this position of the courtside administrators, they can look at plays without interrupting the game. So there might be a foot on the line, whether it's a two or a three. And instead of stopping the game, making the officials come over, they look at the video. They can't get the right angles. The game continues to go on. And they are actually communicating with the courtside administrator to Secaucus, uh, and they're getting the information, and they're sending it back and forth so that the information can be relayed without the game being interrupted. And I think that's one of the, the key points to the way that the NBA has evolved in this aspect. And there's only 16 um, replays that they can that are that are triggers in the NBA. Um, but when they get to the last two minutes, then it gets into the officials' hands uh, as well. So. Um, and 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 when they do send it to the officials, uh, when when there's a, a play that needs to be reviewed, there are actually NBA officials that are assigned to the replay center in Secaucus. And I think that's one of the other key components. You're not dealing with an engineer or somebody that that lacks the interest and the understanding of how the game flow is. Um, you know, there's been a couple of times where an official will come over to look at a replay, and he'll be saying. To the other official in Secaucus, this is what we got on the floor. This is what, why we think it. And then you'll be able to look at it. And, and I think it's really important. You know, they, they can say, show me the RoboCam. Show me camera three. Show me the baseline. And so they understand the terminology and the, where the cameras are placed. And it, and it really helps move the game along. So, um, again, I'm biased. But I think the NBA kind of gets that right. So, um, Tom, thanks again for your, your input. I think it's been great to, to have your insight in. Don't go anywhere because we might ask you to jump in on some of these uh, last couple of topics before we before we wrap up today. So when we talk about the different uh, aspects and how rules are different, NBA, NCAA, high school, you know, obviously they don't, they don't do replay the same way. It's also the same with the rules. And so recently uh, it came out from National Federation of High Schools every year you can submit rule changes. And so... I submitted two this year, and, uh, and we have a, a mailbag question for a third one. But um, the two rules that I uh, put in for was the first one was the, the slapping of the backboard. Uh, right now in high school, if a player slaps the backboard, there's only two calls that you can make, a no call or a technical foul on the player. And there's no opportunity to mirror what the NCAA or the NBA does with allowing that to be basket interference. So uh, this is the third year I've submitted it. Last year it made it to the finals. 
but it unfortunately uh, did not pass. They, they had about seven uniform ones instead. So uh, I think that hopefully we'll see that that change. And the other one I put in for was the shot clock, which is you know getting a lot of push from a lot of different people. Um, and again, this is just my individual uh, preference on the shot clock, and, and I understand that some rural counties may not be able to afford it, so that's going to be a, a difficult aspect to it. So I think um, I think it might be uh, you know good to bring in Andre and, and Irv and ask them what they think about uh, you know the slapping on the backboard of the shot clock and get their impressions, and then maybe we. Uh, we can go from there. So, Irv, since you got the best pipes in the business, I'm going to let you start. Thank you, Scott. Uh, I would just touch on the uh, shot clock. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm hoping and praying that the shot clock does come into the uh, Virginia High School League uh, games because it's needed, in my opinion. Uh, a lot of kids will benefit, and teams will benefit from having the shot clock. And I'm thinking possessions will probably go up, and then at the end of games, uh, the shot clock will really come into play in terms of how coaches coach those last two or three minutes of the game. Um, to me, it's just a long time coming for that to happen, and hopefully, if you continue to push and push and <laughs> get the uh, NFHS to get on board with getting that uh, implemented, I think it would really help the game of basketball. Yeah, I think the strategy session is, is good for that too. So, Andre, give you a chance to also chime in either on shot clock or slap on the backboard or if there's something else you think about. So, what do you got, Dre? Yeah, Scott, I certainly concur with Irv's uh, position and yours as well too. Uh, gives you a better flow of the game, much more strategy, better execution uh, for what you're going through. And like you said, at the end of the game, from an efficiency standpoint, you know what they're trying to do. It's, you know, we're going to work the clock to get a good shot, or we're doing that. Um, possessions increase, certainly. Uh, you look at it, it's a faster game where kids are trying to take the ball out of the net and go, go, go. So having that shot clock would be a good tool as well. And as for slapping the backboard, I think it's time that we do do the same thing that college has. Um, I think to penalize with a technical foul, it's very, very detrimental and definitely discourages contesting certain shots if kids are thinking in that aspect that they're going to get teed up. Um, like you said, you determine whether it's legitimate or the ball's on the rim or on or around. But, you know, I think, like you said, just score it, move on, helps the flow of the game, continues. Otherwise, it's his, this person's perspective versus that person's perspective, you know, if we uh, assess that technical foul, which can be pretty costly. You're talking about two shots and potentially possession. So, that could be a four or five point swing in those instances. So I, I think it's time we change that. Uh, just makes sense. Well, this is probably a, a good time also to talk about the uh, our mailbag. We got one of the questions is actually about a rule change. So it comes from Carlos Poindexter. Carlos is the head coach at the Hayfield Secondary School of the boys varsity team, and he writes that he'd like to see uh, the restriction arc implemented for uh, potential block charge plays under the basket. And th there's a couple of thoughts to this. First of all, I would say um, I'd be very careful about what I would want to add into the game. Uh, I think, uh, you know, you're dealing with a, a different level of official than you would at the, the college or NBA level, and I think it may introduce the potential for uh, more inconsistency than, than what you're hoping that, that will do, number one. 
Number two, I think you're going to have a, a more uh, challenge with the finances of being able to paint all the gyms, have that restricted line. So when you have that, I think it's going to be more important for you to um, you know, look at different ways uh, that you can uh, use the money. And I think that's where kind of where the shot clock should be focused on. So I would stay away from the, the, that aspect you know, at, at this level. You know, I think that it would probably create more inconsistency. So, um, our second question comes from Little Yeti, and Little Yeti wants to know if there's. Uh, we talked before about watching video to break down games, and he wants to know how long should it take me to download and and to view one game and break it down correctly. So, I will tell you that if you're if you have a 32 minute game and it takes you 32 minutes uh, to break down the video, you're doing it wrong. So, I think I'll just say this, and, I, and I'm, you know, I'll let anybody else chime in that wants to, but I think what you're dealing with is when you're watching the game, every time there's a call, I'm pausing it, I'm watching the video, I'm trying to see where I can have, uh, you know, different uh, angles, maybe if I could have had a different uh, placement of where I should be, or even if I wasn't the calling official, maybe if I could... Uh, help or being another uh, part of the court so you know breaking down plays like that sometimes you have to review it uh, multiple times sometimes you have to slow it down sometimes you have to just take different angles into uh, into the effect so I would say it normally if I'm just breaking down my video it's going to take me 45 minutes to an hour but if I'm breaking down somebody else's where I'm charting calls it's probably going to take me an hour and a half and uh, I know it's something that Adam and I do quite regularly uh, when we get game video and are asked to chart calls and, and break it down. So that would be uh, what I would say. So um, anybody else have any thoughts on this before I go to the next thing? All right, Adam? The only thing I'd add to that, Scott, I think you're spot on in terms of the, the time and effort it goes into breaking down tape. But I think when you're breaking down your own tape, you have to be self-aware and willing to criticize yourself. Um, if you're not, if you're looking at game tape to validate everything you've done, then what I would say is don't even bother watching the tape. Um, you should be looking at it to see what could I have done differently to put myself in either A, a better position to see a play, or B, did the call that I make or the, the call that I didn't make fit in the flow of the game? Um, you know, was my head, was my eyes in the right, was I looking in the right place? Um, what I saw live, is it really what happened? Or if it wasn't what really happened, why did I see it differently? And I think those are the things you have to be honest about yourself. Uh, or honest with yourself when you're watching game tape of your own game. Yeah, I think that's that's obviously a good point. You know, you, you do have to be, you know, ready to criticize your own calls. And, and, you know, besides just looking at others. So that's another good point by Adam. So, um... I've got one last thing I want to share before we, we close up. I wanted to, you know, I've got, got a couple of announcements and I want to thank our sponsors. So, first of all, uh, since the last time we uh, did video, we had a couple of tragedies in basketball with the passing of Morgan Wooten and Kobe Bryant. And obviously, there's a lot of uh, thoughts and emotions that go into that. I, I would say, uh, first of all, I, I had a chance uh, to officiate Morgan Wooten on multiple occasions. And he was always a class act, even uh, to the officials. Um, he did have his way of being able to share that he wasn't, uh, you know, appreciative of the call. I remember one time I had a, a play where I called a travel on one of his big kids 
uh, and uh, he he did not like the call, and his, he would clap as I would run by, and he'd say, "Don't don't worry about it, Jordan. He just doesn't understand what a drop step is. He'll he'll get that in training eventually." And uh, it just had a way of, of just sending a message, and I and I you know. Uh, I want to, you know, extend our condolences to the the Wooten family, and obviously there's a lot of emotion about the Kobe Bryant situation. And these, uh, I just keep thinking about these young ladies um, who are chasing the dream of basketball, and uh, you know their lives ended too soon. So uh, we extend our condolences to them. I also want to thank our uh, our guest today, Tom McElroy. Uh, was a great guest. Shared a lot of insight coming from the Big East office as well as from an AD at a Division One university uh, with some great stories. And then Irvin Andre. For, uh, for for being here as well. Uh, we will probably not be back for a couple of weeks as we get ready for playoffs, but uh, I do want to thank the VNN for letting us uh, have our podcast here, and I want to thank the Steve Gordon Basketball Officials Camp for being one of our sponsors. And again, you can go visit sgboc.com. There's two sessions that are open. The registration's open, and uh, you're going to find some great guests, yeah, NBA guests, college guests. Very excited about uh, the camp this summer, so if you're looking for a great teaching camp, we're, we're a good place to consider. If you're looking to be hired, we're probably not the right place. But we will teach anybody uh, three-person mechanics and be able to give uh, some good background uh, to those that maybe haven't been to a camp in a while and teach them some new things that maybe they, they weren't aware of and, and positioning in other places. So with that, as always, Adam, you have the last word. I want to wish all of our listeners... Uh, the greatest of luck in the postseason. May this be the only, only inadvertent whistle in your day. Tell the world I'm coming home. Let the rain wash away all the pain of yesterday. I know my kingdom awaits, and they forgive.